What do you live for? Because I think that that question, we think we can answer very easily. But our answer is not what we say. Our answer is in how we actually live. That's what be, would be the true answer. But that's what we want to look at. What do we live for? Because there are many things we live for, but what is really important to us? And as we talk about reaching people one relationship at a time, we've got to ask ourselves that question, what do we live for? Many of us live for action and adventure. We live for uh, 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 romance. We live for uh, relationships. We live for sometimes money or power. We live for these things. But Jesus came in and he gave us a way to rethink what we live for and why we live for what we live for. Because if you're living for something in this world that is temporary, then when that which is temporary wears off, where does that leave you? Where, where, where does your life go from there? I think if we can answer ourselves the question, what do we live for, then we'll be able to determine what will we die for. Because that's a very important question. See, Jesus did many things for us, and one of the things he did was to help us to rethink what we live for. And we want to learn how we can live in this life in such a way that it's not just a temporary thing, but we become someone who God made us to be, not so that we can say, oh, I live for this or that, but our lifestyle would reflect that. Many of us love going to the movies. I like going to the movies. I like action and adventure. Uh, I like comedy, and, and yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll be okay with romance so long as there's action and adventure and comedy. So I like the, the action part of the movies. But in, in the, these different categories, there are three top money-making movies from 1995 to 2012, and the number one genre of movies, uh, the, uh, the number one genre of these movies that made the most money is comedy. That's the highest money-making uh, genre of movies with a total of 1,751 movies made that was specifically comedy from 1995 to 2012, bringing in $44,792,158,044. $44 That's comedy. And the second one, and this one came in second, was Adventure. Now, Adventure was one-third less movies than was comedy. So only 521 movies were created under the genre of adventure. But that brought in $38,199,674,469. Third place, drama. Drama. With, but look how many dramatic movies we needed. 3,132 drama types of movies from 1995 to 2012 which is more than both of them put together. 33621012632 dollars were brought in through drama. Which tells me, most of us like drama. Now, we may not say we like drama because we're involved in drama, but some of us create drama. And so... It's a result of what we're watching or a result of what life is all about. Now, you may like action or adventure or you may like comedy or you might like drama. 
But it doesn't change the fact that these movies are out there or entertainment is out there. And I think what happens is when we go to the movies or we watch these certain things on TV, we suspend belief for a little while. Like you go to a romantic movie and you watch The Notebook or there's other ones that, you know, it's, it's a good movie. I didn't even see that movie, but I, I believe you cry in that movie and you're supposed to. If, you, if not, you, you're heartless. But you watch this movie and, and you're supposed to be having these emotions. And the reason why your emotions on there is because your emotions are getting the best of you is because you picture yourself sometimes. And it actually taps into our subconscious mind saying, that can be you one day. Or you watch an action and an adventure, kind of like a thriller, or like a superhero kind of thing, and a, the Avengers or, or something like that, and, or like Iron Man, and the kids are like, I want to be Iron Man. You, you, you suspend belief just for that moment because you think you can be that, or you can do that, or you can have that. And we suspend belief for a little while because the movies help us to live in that kind of way subconsciously for two hours. The danger about that is we begin to believe a fantasy that maybe then that could be my life. Maybe that could be my future husband, my future wife. That maybe my children can be like that. Maybe I can have that much money. Maybe I can be successful like that. And so we think in that kind of way without even realizing we think that way. And so it slowly seeps into our lives and we live a lifestyle that really wasn't created for us, or we're unhappy with the life we live because we see what could be, and it's not happening like that. And we compare it to things that are not created for us. And so we live for whatever we can to obtain happiness because we're not happy. Whether it's living for entertainment or the movies or a certain career, or even our families or a hobby, or for some of us, we just live for self and we don't even know it. But we got to ask ourselves, what do we live for? Because once we ask that question and answer it, then it'll help us to understand why we do what we do. See, if, if, if you don't know what you live for, then your relationships die. It'll die. Because now you're just living and existing. You're not doing anything on purpose. You're, you're living, you don't know what you're living for. You're just kind of existing. And, and so if... If uh, you're getting a, a hard time with a certain project or you're having a hard time with your day, then you take it out on those who are closest to you because you didn't even know what you're living for. You're just going from day to day or moment to moment. You know, one of the top answers really when asked, what do you live for? People say to be happy. To be happy. But in order for us to be happy, then the happenings around us need to be according to what makes us happy. So people look for happiness, but I've learned this, and many of us are learning this, that instead of us looking for happiness, we got to create happiness. Because if you look for happiness, that when, and then you find that happiness, it's only temporary. It's like the movies. When I go to the movies, I'm all happy because there's popcorn and there's mochi crunch. I like going to the movies because there's snacks. So I'm happy. But when I watch the movie and it's junk, now I'm unhappy. So happiness can change. Happiness isn't a goal, and it shouldn't be the goal. Happiness is actually a byproduct of right thinking or right acting or right living. And if you make happiness the goal of what you live for, then you will be miserable when that happiness wears off. 
So how do I stay happy then? Because we want to be happy. I want to live for something that makes me happy. I want to live in such a way that I'm, I'm happy. I don't want to be miserable. Well, there are certain habits that create our happiness. We actually shape our habits, and then our habits actually begin to shape us. Happiness is based on happenings, which is temporary. But happiness built on habits is long-lasting. That's what we want to develop. We want to develop these habits that are long-lasting. And just as happy habits take long to develop, so do bad habits take long to develop. So some of our bad habits that have taken us years to develop, we got to undo those habits and be patient enough as we develop great habits because happy habits are more rewarding than unhappy habits or bad habits. They are so much more rewarding. Bad habits take time to develop, just like good habits. And so we got to be patient when we're living or when we're trying to develop good habits. And in order for us to live for something, and in order for us to get to the place where we understand what I'm living for, then we will understand what we're willing to die for. What are you willing to die for? My friend and I, his name is Terry, and uh, I haven't seen him in, I don't know how many years, but we were probably maybe nine or ten years old, and we would, you know, we would hang out together, we would, we would uh, team up together to play marbles, and we would, we would take everybody's marbles because we, we partnered together, and uh, certain things we were good at, you know, when you'd, remember the monkey bars, you'd go on the monkey bars and you'd play chicken fight, uh, you'd have to grab the other person with your legs, and you got to pull them down and drop them, how safe is that? So that's why they have safer equipment now, I guess. But that's what we'd play. We'd play chicken fight, and, and we, would, we would do well. And then we'd play dodgeball. That's another awesome, dangerous game. You know, here's the rule in dodgeball, no more head hunting. How's that for a rule? So it kind of tells you the, the, how the game is played. Basically, you dodge the ball. So we would play these games, and, and, and we got to be good friends because of all these games that we would play. Well, one day, as we were just hanging out, I don't know how the conversation came up, but we, we just said this to each other. We said, you know, I will die for you. We're 10 years old. I will die for you. Yeah, yeah we tight. Hey, let's become blood brothers. <laughs> and so before the knowledge of disease, we cut ourselves. <laughs> and then when blood came out, we would shake hands. We'd say, oh, we blood brothers for life. Yeah, I'll die for you. Now, you know, 30 years later, I don't know if I'll die for that guy. I really don't. I don't know if he came back into my life and said, you know, can you take a bullet for me? I don't know if I would. I'd be like, you know what? I know we was blood brothers, but I had on transfusion, so that's off. I cannot stick to that contract. I don't know if I would because I live for different things today. My mindset have, has changed. But if you don't know what you're willing to live for, you're not going to know what you're willing to die for why we work so hard, why we make so many sacrifices, why we sacrifice our loved ones on the altar of wealth, why we do these things, we won't know until we answer the question, what am I willing to live for? And what do I live for? Because if, if you were to have your family or friends ask you, what do you live for? I wonder what they would say. What would be their answers? Would they say, oh, money, you live for money. Every, you're, you're always working because you need to make money. They might say, no, you're always working because you just want to take care of the family. 
They may say, oh, you, you, you work so that you can become this powerful person. Or they might say, oh, you work because you want to do a good service to the community. You know, what would people say? What would you say that you live for? Because whatever you answer, your next question should be, then what am I willing to die for? In your bulletin, there's some notes that you can take out. And, and Mark 8.34, it says it like this. And this is Jesus talking to the people. When Jesus had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What Jesus was saying is it's not easy living this life. It's going to be a very difficult thing, but you've got to answer the question, what are you willing to die for? What are you willing to live for? Because it's a difficult thing. He said, if you desire to come after me, it's going to be even more difficult. What Jesus was really saying is you cannot be happy if your relationships are miserable. What Jesus was talking about was a relationship with him. If you're going to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to pick up your cross. You've got to follow me. It's not an easy thing. It's a tough thing to do. But he said it is the best thing to do. That's the best thing for your life. See, if, if your relationships are unhappy, if your relationships are unhappy, you're unhappy. Life is miserable. You can put on a show, you can smile, but if your relationships are unhappy, life is miserable. You can show up at work and put on the smile, but if your relationships are unhappy, you're miserable. And that's why many people, they, they get out from one relationship to the next because they're unhappy because their relationships are unhappy. And so they're miserable thinking it's the relationship. And so we'll go from one relationship to the next looking for happiness instead of creating it rather than being dependent on someone else to be happy. Jesus says, you, you want to live a life worth living for? Pick up your cross. In other words, do what you got to do. You're going to take some hits. But follow me. You follow me. Because that's the best life for you to live. Paul says it like this in Philippians 1, verses 3 through 5, and he knew something about relationships. He said, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for you, for all of you, with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. See, what Paul is teaching us was it, it, you have to come to a place where you experience joy, not from other people, but from the life you're living. That you don't look for happiness, you create happiness. And that's what we want to learn. We want to learn that there's so much more to live for than this temporary world that Jesus wants us to know. The first thing is this, and you can write this in, is to be a grateful person. Be a grateful person. Are you grateful? Are you thankful? Or are you always complaining, looking for something that's wrong? Are you grateful for the people that are around you? Are you grateful for the fact that Jesus forgave you of your sins? Are we grateful for what we have rather than for what we don't have? And do we chase after things we don't have, hoping that it'll help us with being happy? Or are we just looking for greatness? And by the time we achieve what we think is greatness, we look around us and nobody's around us because we're ungrateful. Nobody wants to be an, around an ungrateful person well, how do I know if I'm grateful or not? Well, being unhappy is an indicator that my gratefulness is running low. When I'm unhappy, 
It's just an indicator that my gratefulness is running low. Whenever I see a marriage that's deteriorating or, or not going well, it's usually because they've forgotten what it was like when they first met. Remember when you first met your spouse, everything was so good. It's like, oh, I love you. Oh, you look great. You look nice. Oh, that shirt on you, that's so nice. The best shirt. Oh, I love that. You make that shirt look good. You make that shoes look good. Wow, everything is beautiful on you. Yeah, yeah, but this, no, no, everything's great. Look at my hair, my hair. Your hair is beautiful just like that. Even when you wake up in the morning, your hair is awesome. <laughs> yeah, but I don't have makeup in the morning. I, I look. No, you are beautiful. Then 20 years later, it's like, whoa, what just happened? What in the world are you, what is that on your face? What happened to your hair? See, when you first met, it was like, there he is. Now it's, oh, there he is. When you first got married, it's like, that's my wife. Then it becomes, that's my wife. Before it was, Daddy's home. Now it's, guys, Daddy's home. <laughs> I mean, you're saying the same thing, but the heart is different. Like, things change over the years. Not, I, not you and I, Heidi. It was just an example. <laughs> it changes over the years. I've, Heidi and I have been together for 27 years, and when you're with someone long, you take for granted how long you've been together. And the longer you've been together, the more you take one another for granted. The other day, Heidi, Heidi, we were at home, and I said, Heidi, thank you so much for cleaning the house. Look at how nice the house is. Because she made a comment. She says, man, my, the house is messy. And it really wasn't. There was like one blanket, and the chair was like, you know, crooked. Because when our grandchildren come over, we move the furniture around so that there's more room to play. I looked at the house, and I'm thinking, it's nice. I said, Heidi, I am grateful. How nice the house is, how grateful. I am grateful that you cleaned the house. And she goes, thank you. Are you grateful because you don't have to do it? Or are you grateful because I'm doing it? I said, oh, I don't know. It's probably I'm grateful that you're doing it and I'm not. I don't know. But for some reason we do. We take advantage of the people that we're around the most. And the longer you live with someone, the more you take them for granted. It's just a byproduct of our nature because we're self-centered people. Whenever you think of others, think of being grateful. Because by nature, we're not grateful. We're actually self-centered. We want more. Philippians 1.3, I like how Paul says it. He says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Every time I think of you, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Can we say that about people around us? Can we say that about our husband or our, our wives, your husband or your wives? Can you say that? Can you say that about your children? That every time I think of you, son, I am thankful for you. Or every time I think of you, I'm scared because my bills are being higher and higher. Every time I think of you driving my car, I cringe. I got to pray for you. That car doesn't get hit. Are we thankful for them? That, honey, every time I think of you, I am thankful because you're such a hard worker. I, every time I think of you, I'm thankful for you because you're so pleasant to be around. Every time I think of you, I thank you and I give thanks to my God. And Paul said this in a place, in a situation that it wasn't the most grateful place to be in. He was in a place called Philippi. He was in a place that the people hated him. Not everyone, but many wanted him to die. They wanted to stone him to death. They put him in prison. It wasn't the most pleasant place. It wasn't the happiest place, but Paul made a decision to be thankful and grateful. He chose not to dwell on the painful memories. 
He chose to put those on the side to be a grateful person, which changed his perspective. So you got to be willing to put aside the painful memories, the things that didn't go well, the past hurts, because memories are a choice. The next time the devil brings up a bad or painful memory or reminds you of something someone did wrong and you can use it as ammunition against them, then just say this in your mind, oh, I distinctly remember forgetting about that. And the devil will say, no, 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 but this person hurt you. You have all the right to feel hurt. You have all the right to seek revenge. They hurt you. No, I distinctly remember forgetting about that. Yeah, yeah, but your wife did this 12 years ago. Your husband said this last month. You got, you got to do something about that. You deserve better. I distinctly remember forgetting about that. And you know when you say that, you know who you sound like? You sound just like the Lord. Now, when we ask him for forgiveness and we go back to him and say, oh, I did this wrong, this wrong, he says, you know, I distinctly remember forgetting about that. The Bible states it that way, that he put it in the sea of forgetfulness. All our sins, he remembers no more. It's a choice that God makes. It's a choice that we can make. And Paul prayed with joy. It wasn't a positive thinking because I know we say, we just got to think positive, think positive, which is fine. But I found something more effective. Positive thinking is okay, but positive prayers are much more effective. Here's the second thing. Be a person who prays with joy. To pray with joy. Too many non-joyful prayers. We need more joy. You know, I've prayed these prayers before. Lord, you know, this is happening in my life. Can you change this person? Tell them this or help them with that. You know, this is happening in my life. I don't know what's going to take place, but boy, it's, it's, it's not the best thing in my life. So I'm just, you know, do something about it. Can you, can you help this person, change that person? But this is how Paul prays. And this is his advice in Philippians 1, verses 4 through 5. He says, whenever I pray, whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And Paul says, I, I, I pray for all of you with joy. Do we pray for one another with joy or is it a complaining kind of prayer? Do we pray with joy? Lord, thank you for Heidi and her, her, just her uniqueness and thank you for her support and, and just all that she does in my life. Lord, I thank you for my children, just for who they are. I, I thank you for their, their abilities and, and who you created them to be. I pray your blessing over them, Lord. I pray that your love would shine through them. What do we pray? Do we pray with joy? Or do we play with a complaining spirit that we say, Lord, you know, my son, my daughter is doing this. Can you fix them? Uh, Lord, speak to them. Um, uh, they're heading in this direction, so, you know, rain down thunder so that, and lightning so that they can hear you, and, and can you do that in their life? And Paul is saying, I pray with joy, because most people don't want to change. Most people just don't want to change. And you and I can't change people. And we know that. Many of us don't want to change, but we sure do want other people to change. God says, no, when you pray, pray with joy. And if you can't change people, then why burn off the energy trying to? But if you pray joyfully to God, He may do a mighty work in others that you're praying for. 
not so that they change because you wanted to change how you wanted to change, but that they change for the glory of God, that God does a mighty work in them. Because we got to be patient with people through their changes. How long is God waiting for us to change? I'm 41, uh, 41 years old. He's still waiting for me to change. 41 years. But God is patient. Not, not wishing that anyone should perish, but all should change or repent. He's patient with us. See, you can expect the best from people, but you've got to be patient in the process. Stay joyful in it. Studies show that, that when people expect the best in them, they excel. Like school teachers, when you expect the best out of your student, you can bring the best out of them. But if we only expect perfection in our families or in school or wherever it may be, and we only expect perfection, then we'll be let down because there's no perfect people. But we can expect the best out of them. We can encourage the best out of them. You know, when my, my, my kids were small, or uh, one is 25, one is 19, but when they were like, you know, three and, you know, eight years old, around that age, I would play basketball with them. And we had this small little rim, and, you know, they could reach it, and as I would play with them, when they would shoot the ball, I would just, I would just swat the ball. And I'm thinking, I'm going to build up their character. I'm going to teach them how to play basketball. And they got to learn this stuff because when they start playing, they got to know how to not get blocked. And then when, we would, when they would dribble the ball, and you know, they're only babies, so they're trying to dribble the ball. I would steal it from them. I'd say, hey, you got to be careful. You got to be careful. They would steal the ball from you. They're like, you know, four years old, five years old. Well, as time went on, as they continued to grow up, they got better. And then we played one day, and they blocked my shot and stole the ball from me. And they said the same thing I told them when they were young. Oh, Dad, you got to shoot in there. At least hit the rim. You know, you got to watch out for the block shots. Oh, watch out for the steal. But as I watched them through the years, I had to be patient with them through the years. If I only nagged on them and says, you know, you're not doing this right. You're not doing that right. You're doing this wrong. You're doing this wrong. What's wrong with you? You're a loser. You're not going to be anything. You're not going to amount to anything. Why don't you be like me? Why can't, can't you do things better? Why can't you do this or that? You know, so-and-so does this. How come you can't do that? The more I say that, the more they'll resent me. And they won't listen after a while. And then when they become adults, I wonder, where are they? They're still there. They just might not want to be around me. Because that's all they've been hearing all their lives. As, as, as people grow, and as they make their subtle changes, celebrate those small little subtle changes you know, what do we yell to our children when they're on the ball field or when they're on the court or swimming or, or at, a, at a track meet? What do we say to them? Are we encouraging them? Are we, are we building them up? Or are we saying other things to them? See, we got to celebrate even the little changes that people make. Not be disappointed at how much further they got to go. Because if we look at what people aren't, We'll always be disappointed. But if we, if we look at who they're becoming through that process, then you'll be a happy person regardless of their so-called setbacks. That you can still live your life. You, can still, you still have a passion to live. You, you still understand what you live for. But we've got to bring out the best in them, and that's where the, these joyful prayers come in. Pray with joy. 
But tagged into that is to be an encouraging person, and that's the third thing. You can write that in. Do you live to be an encouraging person? Do you live to be a person who lifts others up and builds them up? Or are you the kind of person that says, yeah, I just tell it as it is. I see it, I call it. Just tell it as it is. You know, referees can't even do that. And that's what they get paid for. That's why we have instant replay now. I'm not talking about the Cardinals games, but I'm just saying, there's certain things that may happen that you got to get the call right, but we're in live life. There are no replays. There is no visual replay that we can look at and say, was that the right call? Did I make the right call? We're here live. So I, I, I want to be an encouraging person, and it takes time to develop that because if we have the spirit of, well, I just tell it like it is, we're not going to be an encouraging person because there is truth to certain things. There is truth to when our kids play a certain sport and they make a mistake. There is truth to that. There is truth that our wives will make some failures or, or have some mistake, make some mistakes. There is truth that, that your husbands will make some mistakes. There is truth that our boss will make some mistakes. There's truth to that. But if we just tell it as it is, there's no encouragement there. It stops there and people become defensive. But if we tell it how it should be or could be, and we develop that habit of saying, you know what? I'm just going to tell it as it could be. Then it changes the perspective, it changes our heart, and it changes the motives behind why we say what we say. And then we become encouraging people. Philippians 1.6, Paul says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Yeah, Paul brought out the best in people. He believed in people. He said, I have this confidence in you. Do we say to people, I have confidence in you? Or do we say, I don't know if I can trust you. And maybe they have a track record, but are we giving them another chance? Maybe in a different kind of way. And if somebody has been stealing from you, giving them a second chance doesn't mean you keep leaving your money out in the open. But you find another way to bring out the best in them. Do you build them up or tear, tear them down? What do we tell our kids? I like what the coach of TCU did to a young man years ago. TCU baseball coach Jim Schnoschlangle, hopefully I said it correct, uh, called one of the players into his office soon after this young man had gotten surgery after an injury. And the player recalls this, and I'm reading an interview. The player recalls, well, first the coach told me all the reasons why I had been the top recruit at TCU. And that while I had been a decent player, I had not been the player they, they'd expected. He was totally right. But then he said, you basically have only two choices now. Son, you can continue to be a decent player and get out of here and maybe become a high school or a college coach. Or you can get some serious, serious routines into your life and let this be a wake-up call and get to work and become something special. I literally changed overnight. Now, this player who favored junk food diets of fast foods and sodas hired a nutritionist and cleaned up his diet cold turkey. He said, I became, I became super strict about what I ate. I went all in. And he hasn't had a soda since and can't remember his last fast food burger. While he leaned out, he devoted himself to strength training. He said, I ran every day, cut about 40 pounds, and came back for my red shirt season as the 
as that player TCU expected. I hit 22 home runs over my red shirt junior year and senior seasons. In 2009, the St. Louis Cardinals drafted him as the 13th round draft pick. They offered him $1,000 to sign, and he took it. This year, he has made over $500,000 in salary as a second baseman, and that player is Matt Carpenter. He is who he is today because someone brought out the best in him. Yeah, the coach could have said, man, you're 40 pounds overweight. You're not going to cut it. Uh, good luck. Yeah, you got some skills, but you're wasting your life, son. Uh, you're wasting my time, too, and uh, even the recruiters uh, are disappointed in you. So uh, why don't you just finish off your years, and hopefully you still get the scholarship. Hey, that's telling it like it is. But the coach rather chose to tell it how it could be. That he gave vision for this young man's life, and now this young man is doing something he's always dreamt about. Can we be that kinds of people to others? Because nobody changes by nagging. Nobody does. People believed in us. We got to be people who believes in others. Now, why do we want to believe in others? Why, would he, why do we need to be encouraging? Why do we need to be like that? Well, in every situation... Acceptance always precedes transformation. Acceptance will always precede major changes in our lives. But if we keep pushing people away and keep condemning them and discouraging them, then walls go up, defenses go up, and there's no change for the better. But if we say, you know what? Let me tell you how life could be. This is what I see in you. Boy, it does something. In other words, number four, be just like Jesus. Be just like Jesus. Easy to explain, easy to understand, very difficult to live out. Very difficult. But he says, you're not going to be able to live like this unless you have my spirit dwelling in you. And what is that spirit? Galatians 5.22, it says, the, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Above such things, there is no law. He says, if you want to be some, someone who, who is, is understanding what to live for, begin here. This is the spirit that God wants us to have. Are we living each of these areas in such a way that is purposeful? Because if I don't develop the fruit of the spirit on purpose, then I'll become the opposite by default then my family and friends and other people will be my excuse. Oh, this is why I'm like this. This is why I do this. This is what happened. And so then I have all these excuses. Hard to be like Jesus sometimes. But there are times when it's easy. There are times when it's easy, and, and it's those times that, that we can just be like Jesus because it's, it's easy to do. The other night I was driving, and uh, I just saw this moped, uh, a guy on a moped, uh, crash and he slid because of the oil and it was wet and rainy and so I pulled my car over ran up to him checked to see if he was okay and he was fine a police officer was right behind and saw everything but tried to get him off the road because it was dark and so we just made sure he was okay and then when I left that situation I felt good about myself you know we call it good deeds you feel like you did a good deed and so I felt good about myself. I said, oh, well, Lord, thank you for that opportunity to check to see if that guy was okay and he was fine. And I felt good. 
And then it's like the Lord kind of just spoke to my heart real quick, and he said, was that hard to do? I said, no, because that guy was injured. I, you know, I, I didn't know if he was okay or not. He said, yeah, that was pretty easy to do. I said, yeah, for me, that was easy, I, just to check up on him. He said, yeah, that's what it's like to be like me, that you're loving. I said, yes, that's what I'm trying to do, just be like you. He says, okay, I want you to do that too when you don't want to do something. I said, what do you mean? He says, yeah, you wanted to help that guy. But when I tell you to be loving to your wife and you don't want to, why don't you? Because if you want to be like me, then be like me. Don't be like me only when it's easy. If you really want to be like me, it's going to be very difficult because you're going to have to pick up your cross. You're going to have to deny yourself. Then you're going to have to follow me. And when you understand that, then you're going to understand what you live for. Otherwise, you just do everything according to what you want to do, camouflaging it as being like me. The Bible puts it this way in Mark 8, 35 through 38. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? And this is what he was speaking to me. If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in this adulterous and sinful days, in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And I thought, Lord, being ashamed of you is, is not proven, or, or not being ashamed of you is not proven by me attending church or proven by me worshiping you or, or proving that I'm not ashamed of you by wearing a t-shirt. Proving I'm not ashamed of you is doing something you're asking me to do that I don't want to do. And when I do that which I don't want to do and I deny myself but I follow you, that is when I'm not ashamed of you. Because I'm, I'm in a position now where people will see me standing up for you. My wife will see me standing up for you. My loved ones will see me standing up for you, not how I feel or what I want. Picking up a cross is not an easy thing to do. Denying self is not the easiest thing to do. That's why 1 John 3.16 tells us we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us, so we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. And Jesus said that's the way to live your life because if you can answer what you live for then you will be able to know what you're willing to die for and Jesus knew what he lived for therefore he knew what he could die for and he died for you and I that's how valuable you are to God that's something that God says I am willing to live and die for and now he says, you do the same for others. You can close your Bibles and put away your notes. We're going to pray. If you bow your heads for a moment. Heavenly Father, as, as we 
kind of process what we've learned this morning, our prayer is, is that we would answer that question, what are we willing to live for? Because that's a, that's a difficult question because it's not really what we say, but it's how we actually live our lives. So I pray for all of us this morning that through your word, we would understand that yes, life is difficult and, and certain things that you're asking us to do is, is, will have to be about denying ourselves. We're going to have to pick up our cross, which means there's going to be some dying to self and some painful situations, but it is the best life to live. That we're not going to look for happiness. We're going to create it. We're going to pray with joy, Lord. We're going to be encouraging. That we're going to be just like you. Help us to do that today, Lord. That's where our help comes from. It comes from you. We trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, Amen. Can we?